Ticket City presents Why You Go to the Game to see Mizzou. It was a Missouri game against Nebraska at Fro Field. Mizzou came out and hung right with the Huskers. Uh, the Huskers were ranked number one at the time. Nebraska had to score a touchdown on the final play to send the game in overtime. I remember Scott Frost threw the ball into the end zone. The ball flew through the air, and then someone dove for it. Nobody knew quite what happened. Fans started running onto the field. They were jumping on the goalposts because we all thought Mizzou won. But Nebraska had actually scored. They called it the flea kicker. It's one of the most famous plays now in college football history. Even though Mizzou lost that game, it made me a fan of the Tigers forever. Put yourself in the action with Ticket City. Visit ColumbiaTribune.com slash sports and click tickets. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. I am Daniel Jones, and with me today is Cameron Teague Robinson. It is Wednesday, December 19th, National Signing Day. It's actually the first day of the early signing period, but for all intents and purposes, it is now signing day day for uh, college football. Um, So Missouri, at this moment, it's about... Uh, 10 minutes to 1 o'clock, and Missouri has 18 signees. Uh, a couple of them, I believe it's 18 freshmen. I'm going to have to double-check my math here. Plus uh, the two quarterbacks, Kelly Bryant and Sean Robinson. Of course, Sean Robinson uh, made his announcement last night, or I guess Missouri actually made the announcement last night that uh, they they had gotten a signature from Sean Robinson, the former starter at TCU. So a lot to talk about on the football side. But I think what we'll actually do is start with basketball today because we're less than 24 hours uh, from Missouri's absolute demolition of Xavier last night uh, at Mizzou Arena. Tigers ended up winning by 17 points. Is that right? Uh, I think it ended up being 15. 15, 15 points, but at one point they led by 29. 29, yeah. Uh, it was not a really, really a 15-point game. I didn't really watch, have to watch much of, the, much of the second half. Pretty much, yeah, ran Xavier off the floor, and we were just talking before we turned on the microphones. You know, I asked you, how much of that was Mizzou playing their best game and how much of it was Xavier not really showing up? I think it was a little bit of both, but I think it was mostly Missouri played like they played their best game by far this season. I mean, they shot 50% or 44% from the field. They shot 50% inside the three-point arc, shot 35% from deep. Um, they only had 13 turnovers, which I sounds, might sound like a lot, but in turn for them, uh, that, that's below their turnover percentage average, which Travis Steele said that they were going to try to force Missouri into turnovers, which obviously didn't work well. Missouri forced Xavier into 72 turnovers. There's just a lot I could go on to saying – I in the in like the post game takeaways blog I usually have like a good and a bad part and oftentimes even when they win I nitpick on some bad stuff I couldn't really nitpick you couldn't nitpick no I was at like all? I was like they out rebounded them they had more turnovers they shot the ball well they Xavier didn't shoot the ball well Jeremiah was great like it was just hard to find ways if you really want to nitpick I guess the bench could do a little more but <laughs> that's like, better that's more like it the, it was just like <laughs> come on bench. there was just hard come there on. was just hard to find something to nitpick about because that was just such a dominating performance against a quality opponent it's not like they're playing Texas Arlington I mean Xavier is a team that is right there in terms of like the top 80, 70 teams in the country. I think on Ken Palm coming into the game, they're 62, which means they're a, they're a argument for NCAA tournament team. 
in the conversation in the car at the very least right um and i mean you're talking about i that was that was just i thought that was a two three four point game the whole game that's my prediction i expected missouri to win by three um xavier pulls and then they just do that and just dominate it was pretty surprising i think to really put it pretty much everybody um that was that was that was a shocking one couple things. First of all, that had to be the best performance from Jeremiah Tillman and his college career. In his basketball Perhaps. career. <laughs> that was incredible. In the entirety of his existence, yeah. maybe the best, I guess you could say the best performance. Yeah. He was unstoppable. Yeah. And what you mentioned uh, and what was glaringly obvious was Xavier did not double team him to start the game. And they didn't do it the rest of the first half <laughs> or much of the second half. It was it just seemed like a glaring oversight. Like, I understand, like, they thought Xavier thought they had bigs that can compete with Jeremiah Tillman. But once he's beaten you a few times in a row, I think you got to be like, all right, put pride aside. Plan A didn't work. Yeah, let's go double this guy <laughs> and try to get back in this game. Put pride to um, It's just, he was just dominant. There was one time where he had three people on him. Like, he caught the ball, and then, they, then Xavier just swarmed him. And he just spun towards the baseline and scored anyway. And, and it was just like at that point. He was too much in a groove. Like, it didn't matter what you were doing. He wasn't going to pass it because he was making everything he put up. Um, at one point, he had a steal, like, right after, right over midcourt. He had a run it, out. Yeah, and went the length of the floor. Yeah. He, he, said, had a, he led the fast break. Yeah, he said he was going to try to dunk it, but the guy who was too close to him was going to take it out of his hands. So he had to, like, <laughs> finger roll it in. But, I mean, 23 points, 10 rebounds, 10 of 15. I... I don't know you. I don't know if you get a better game from Jeremiah Tillman like that the rest of the year. I, I, I just don't see anyone the rest of the year thinking we can single cover this guy because if you do, he's one of, probably one of the best bigs in the SEC. What Conzo Martin has always said with Jeremiah Tillman is if they are not double teaming you, then they're disrespecting you. Yeah, yeah. That that has been his message to Jeremiah Tillman is if you're not getting double teamed, then they don't respect you. Right. And you should take that as a sign of disrespect. Yeah. And that like the first time that it really showed up, I think, in a big way was last night where I think Jeremiah that was literally coursing through his veins yeah. last night was they're not double teaming yeah, me. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna go score. I'm gonna go to the basket. Yep. So it is like you said, I mean he had I mean, such he, an influence on the game and that's rare yeah. today to have a big man completely take over a game. The yeah, way like he a did. back to the basket big man. Not like he's not, not yeah. really not even going towards the elbow unless he's going to set a screen. He is on the block, put it doing a post move and scoring. And that was just I mean, I don't think there's any that was great. That was just the, the ideal game for Missouri and Jeremiah Tillman in that game. Yeah. yeah. Kind of it's shocking. I mean, it's been an up and down season and almost like the women's team, which uh, actually uh, bounced back after a pretty disappointing loss to South Dakota with a win uh, this weekend. But like the women's team, the men have kind of been trying to find their identity, I think. Uh, they've yeah. gone through some ups and downs, but uh, I, I, it starts with Jeremiah Tillman. Right, right, right. It's, if he's you know having a game like that, then you're going to feed him the ball on every possession. Right. And well, one of my friends back home is a big Xavier fan, and he texted me during the game because he was watching it, and he was like, "What the heck? I thought." <laughs> Missouri's supposed to suck. He said, "Are they good again?" And I was like, "Man, they might be right now." That was that was just. I was like, "They are clicking on all cylinders." It was, um, yeah, that was that was impressive. I, that made me think, like, is this Missouri team? We'll wait, we'll wait to see what they do against Illinois Saturday. But like, is this Missouri team really better than what a lot of people had thought coming into the season when John two went down? I mean, if they beat Illinois, they have a really good chance of going nine and three through non-con, which last year seemed to the exact same thing. 
you pick up you pick up a few SEC wins on the road, games you're not supposed to win, and then postseason is really just what you make of it. I mean, you're looking at NIT, NCAA tournament bubbles type thing. I don't know. They, they, they put themselves in a good position where if they can steal a few, they're in a good spot. Nobody's saying that UCF and Xavier are going to be powerhouses this right. year. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that Missouri already has two wins over high major teams yeah. that you know UCF is probably going to be a tournament, a tournament team. team. Right, yeah. uh, Xavier's going to be in the conversation. Yeah, they'll, so be, those they'll are, be at the top of the Big East. Those are two wins that you already have in your pocket, and you have a chance to go to Illinois, which... What people are, some people are saying uh, might be the best four win team in the history of college basketball. <laughs> I imagine a lot of those people live in Champaign, Illinois. <laughs> I don't know who says that. Uh, they uh, Illinois' schedule this year has been been, tough. been brutal. Yeah, on, Most Ke- of, on Kempom, I think they have a top twenty strength schedule. Most of their, lo- I mean. What their record is four and eight, seven, four, four and seven. seven. They got lost to Gonzaga, Iowa State, Xavier, Notre Dame, Nebraska, Ohio State. All top seventy Ken Palm teams, and four four of those are top twenty five Ken Palm teams. That's pretty nuts. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, a win over Illinois would be another another yeah, you know one. you know another one. And Missouri hasn't beaten Illinois. I mean, just the importance of that game without all the implications of NCAA tournament. Yeah, uh, to beat Illinois would. Be breaking precedent yeah. from uh, what's a streak now? Five. I was thinking. Well, it was four for Xavier too. Yeah. So maybe they're in a streak breaking mood this week. I know Kevin uh, Perrier was pretty excited, yeah. having lost uh, Xavier twice. Yeah. Uh, once in excruciating in fashion. In sophomore year, right? In yeah. Tournament. Yeah. In uh, where was that? It was somewhere down south. It was I want I want to say it was in Orlando. Yeah. Or- it might have been the one. In- Orlando, maybe somewhere in Florida. But I yeah. remember, yeah, I remember seeing that. that was that was crushing. It was it came down to uh, uh, the final possession, and uh, Missouri had the ball. Wasn't uh, it a turnover or something? Well, what was killer was a Terrence Phillips foul. That's what it was on That's an inbounds was. play that gave Xavier a chance to score without having to inbound the ball. Yeah. So they scored the winning points and I and I can't remember if Missouri got a chance after that or I think what happened was that Missouri had the ball with a chance to take the last shot Terrence Phillips tried to do one-on-one had his three-point attempt blocked Xavier called timeout tried to inbound the ball he fouled they go the free throw line win the game I'm my memory is foggy but I'm pretty sure that's what happened that sounds about right Uh, so that that was a demon exercise last night was Missouri finally beat Xavier. Yeah. Um, so it, things on the up and just a real quick mention of the women's team. Uh, you were at the game against South Dakota and they're kind of going through a weird phase right now where uh, there's quite a bit of talent on that team, but the feeling, and this was even after uh, they were able to beat uh Texas State. Thank you. Yep. Texas State. Uh, I was at that game. Yeah, Texas yeah. State on Sunday night. Uh, Robin Pinchton put Jordan Roundtree in the game and uh, said it was just kind of an attempt to mix things up a little bit. And, uh, you know, she said the, her expression, her whole kind of feeling was like, we're just trying to get this thing figured out. I mean, she, it's been frustrating. I know they've lost two non-conference games at home for the first time ever under yeah, Robin Pinchton. Robin. Robin's never done that at Missouri. And this team, which came into the year and was ranked as high as 15 at one point, is kind of like 
bouncing up and down. They've scheduled this, you know, really tough non-conference slate in an attempt to get a top four seed in the tournament, and it hasn't really gone very well. To right, get right. that top four seed, you have to win the games, right, right. and they're not doing that. So they're kind of trying to find their identity a little bit too. What did you? What were your takeaways from the game against South Dakota? Uh, South Dakota seems really good. I don't know if they're in the top twenty-five this week. They were not. They were not. They were like right on the fringe. They did the get more week. votes than Missouri did. Yeah, so they're a good team. Um, they're Missouri just couldn't figure out their zone. And the thing with them has been a lot this year is that they when they when they're hitting threes, they're good. They're really good when they're hitting threes, and when they're not, they're really they just can't score at all offensively. Um, and if Sophia or Amber are in foul trouble, or one of them are in foul trouble, Missouri, it just seems like they don't have a consistent third person to step up. You thought maybe that'd be Lauren Aldridge this year. Um, she stepped up against South Dakota, but she's been up and down. Hannah Shoots had a big game against Duke, but she's been up and down. Jordan Round, she played well against Texas State, but she really hasn't even really gotten a chance. This is really her first opportunity. Right. It was her first yeah. ever start and the most minutes she's ever played. Right. Uh, so she's kind of been an option right. that hasn't really been utilized. So maybe that, maybe that, there might be a for role her. for her going forward. But um, yeah, they just need a consistent third person. Person, not an all SEC player, but just a player who can hold things together while either Sophie Amber and foul trouble. Right. Uh, one thing that has jumped out about that team, and that it was something that got a lot of mention before the season started, is they were going to move from this system where you know their post players were so critical. Yeah. Uh, their offense the last couple of years has been all about inside out and establishing post and getting offensive rebounds with Jordan Frerichs and Sierra Porter and Caitlin Michael last year. And now without post players, I mean, they play four guards pretty much all the time. Emmanuel Tahan and Hannah Schutz are like the only post players on the team. And Hannah Schutz is, uh, doesn't really have the game of a, yeah, of a true post player. So, They've gone to this four-out offense, and they are shooting the three so much. Yeah. And in their losses, it's like they rely on it even more. To get back um, in the game. Right. I yeah. mean, there, there's there been games this season multiple times, and, and more often than not in losses, where they have shot more than – like more than 50% of their field goals have been three-pointers. Yeah. And the games that they've won – it seems, you know, I was kind of looking at these numbers before they played Texas State, but it seems like they've relied less on the three-pointer in those wins. They've been able to get to the basket, right, get right. free throws, and make two-pointers. And in the losses, they've just kind of hung out around the perimeter, and maybe they haven't gone in. So that's something that I think is part of the – is piecing the puzzle together um, is how do we get that consistent offense if the threes aren't going in? Because if they aren't, then – uh, the offense is, is in trouble. They've taken 300 threes so far this year. In uh, something like 13 games? Yeah, uh, something like that. I think they're 9-3. and three. Yeah, yeah. So 12 wow. games. And they're shooting 32%. That's crazy. So that's kind of where they're at. Yeah. Their offense is contingent on the three, which is great if you make a lot of them and not if great yep. if you don't. Yep. All right, we're going to take a quick break for uh, our sponsors. And then we will be back to give a recap of what's happened so far on signing day. I'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsors of the Mizzou Sports Podcast, MU Healthcare, Columbia Water and Light, and Phyllis Nichols of State Farm. The University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of Mizzou Athletics. 
Columbia Water and Light encourages the efficient use of electricity and water because it can make a big difference for all of us. Find out more at ColumbiaPowerPartners.com and contact State Farm Agent Phyllis Nichols at 573-443-8727 for life, home, car insurance, and more. Thanks again to our sponsors, and now we'll return you to the podcast. Okay, we are back. And uh, before we get too much into the signing day stuff, Cam, you were laughing about something uh, on Twitter. There was a tweet today uh, that came out of Oklahoma State that Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy uh, apparently in a press conference today had a lot of good things to say about Missouri and even called them a top 10 team. But careful readers will notice that... When you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes uh, actions speak louder than words. Yeah, yeah. So somebody tweeted me, Chris Jones, shout out to Chris Jones if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> um, he, tw- he, tweeted, he tweeted me and said he ranked them number... He, he, meaning Gundy, uh, ranked them 20 in his coaches poll. So there's that. <laughs> After Gundy said, I think Missouri's a top 10 team. So if you think they're a top 10 team, you should probably rank them as a top 10 team. But that, I thought that that was really funny. I was chuckling about that when I saw that. I wonder how many coaches in that coaches poll actually vote in yeah. the coaches poll. Yeah. Maybe two. Yeah. Uh, two, two is probably yeah. even overstating. That is a job for the SID. Yes, 100%. <laughs> the coach's 100. assistant. Yep. Somebody uh, else in that, on that staff other than the head coach. I'm not worried about this. <laughs> There's so much, so many other things to worry about. Yeah, just, no kidding. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it, there was a story that I wrote in today's Tribune kind of previewing National Signing Day a little bit. Uh, it, and really more than that about how the early signing period has changed things and Derek Dooley had some insightful things to say about why he supported it uh, as a coach at Louisiana Tech at the beginning of his college career, his coaching career uh, but later with Derek Dooley the conversation turned a little bit to you know his future and if he could be relied upon to stay at Missouri. The way the question was worded was basically uh, for people that you're recruiting, you know you're recruiting them and, and they ask will you be around? Uh, will you be around for four years? And he, he said initially, you know, any coach that says they're going to be around for five years is lying because things happen. People get fired. People walk away. But am I looking to leave? No. And he went on to say that being an offensive coordinator is, he said he's, this has been one of the, he said this is the happiest he's been as a coach in a long time. Uh, but the thing that was really funny was he mentioned, you know, being a coordinator is great because things will happen and Coach Barry Odom will have to go respond to him immediately. And I'll just sit there and watch film and be like, all right, coach, you know, have fun with that. I'm just going to sit here and turn back <laughs> on my phone and, and watch that was, film. That was funny. Yeah. Uh, so more, more on that in today's edition of the Columbia Tribune. But uh, it was a good day for Missouri so far. Uh, just through half the half the day on signing day, I recounted there are 19 freshmen or 19 total signed. 17 are freshmen, so two are the quarterback transfers and Kelly Bryant and Sean Robinson. Missouri went into today with 16 commitments, I believe. That's right. Uh, they they started the day with 16 commitments. Of those 16, 14 have signed. And then on top of that, they also had three new commits today that ended up signing with the Tigers. And the three new ones that uh, committed today were linebacker Devin Nicholson of Detroit. Uh, You had uh, 
I'm looking through the list right now. Uh, Chris Daniels, a defensive lineman from Euless, Texas. And uh, actually, Isaiah McGuire was a late commit. Uh, he actually committed yesterday out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. So those are the most recent. Um, but it's been a good day. I mean, most of the guys that, that were committed have already signed. The two that have not, that were committed before today, were Arvell Ferguson from Kirkwood and Shamar Pearl from Plano, Texas. So those are really the only two at this point that have held out. So if you're Coach Odom, you're feeling pretty good that yeah. you got so many at the first available it's, opportunity. It's always nice when by 12, 12 o'clock, you've got three-fourths of your signing class, your signing, your recruiting class already signed and ready to go. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's definitely – they have to be having a sigh of, sigh of relief today. Yeah. Uh, we'll actually get a chance to talk to Coach Odom a little bit later today after – practice which starts at 1 30 uh, but in this class and things that jump out first of all uh, obviously the two transfer quarterbacks which we've talked uh, we've talked a lot about Kelly Bryant but Sean Robinson uh, was the starter at TCU for seven games this season he got injured uh, he had shoulder surgery but prior to that uh, had been pretty good like Kelly Bryant he's a uh, pretty dangerous running quarterback uh, he threw for nine touchdowns and eight interceptions was completing about 60 percent of his passes this season had a pretty good game against Ohio State uh, in week three even though TCU ended up losing but in his time as a starter this season they did beat Iowa State and SMU Iowa State of course now ranked and going to the Alamo Bowl so he also in his senior year in high school at DeSoto uh, was pretty much unstoppable one of the best high school players in Texas led DeSoto to uh, undefeated season and their first state championship in school history that's not easy Texas Texas high school football is the real deal at the highest level of Texas high school football yeah Yeah. so he was a U.S. Army All-American and in high school so he will not be eligible to play in 2019 because he did not redshirt this season. Right, he played half the season. So he will have to sit out a year, but then once he sits out in 2019, he'll have two years of eligibility remaining after Which that. Which is fine because Missouri's quarterback situation is pretty much set for next year. Yeah, yeah. so they have a plan for three years. Yeah. And on top of that, they also got a signature today from Connor Bozilak, uh from Dayton, Ohio. Uh, he's a three-star guy according to 24-7 and Rivals, but a four-star guy according to ESPN. Some of the scouts on him say he's got great touch uh he's and uh, in some ways uh got a skill set similar to drew lock at, you know at this point uh but the some of those scouts uh or i guess the scout that that we talked to that i talked to said that the the thing he kind of lacked was the athleticism drew lock obviously a great basketball player right, right. we've seen him run the ball yeah. as much as he wants try to run people over try to, <laughs> to dual threat quarterback drew lock one of kim's highlights of the season has been drew lock running the ball uh connor does not have that sort of athletic ability but at the same time uh, pretty good arm and it's interesting because Connor Basilak plays in a wishbone veer offense at Archbishop Ultra High School he was a top quarterback in Ohio wasn't he he was up there I'm trying to he's one of the I mean most of the recruiting services had him at you know basically being one of the top 20 to 25 quarterbacks in the country right 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 um, so he's also in the mix at quarterback, uh, would conceivably uh, be a candidate to maybe uh, start 
either his sophomore or junior year if he was able to give Sean Robinson a run for his money. But uh, kind of at the moment, looks like maybe the favorite to start as a senior in 2022. Uh, lot will happen between now and then in terms of players coming and going. But go to now they have a quarterback lineage set up for the next yeah. three seasons at right. the very least. Yeah. So that's a good place to be. Uh, other highlights from this class, Missouri went uh, really – hard at getting defensive backs they were able to sign i believe it was four players who were net, uh, safeties in high school in uh jelani williams from st louis uh, ishmael Burdeen from louisiana martez manuel from rockbridge and aiden harrison from michigan so all those guys played safety in high school some of those guys have an opportunity to move into a linebacker spot later two of those guys are actually recruited by brian odom who was the outside linebackers coach uh so that kind of is a hybrid type a lot of defensive backs are often just very very good athletes in yeah, high school yeah so you can play them a lot of different places and the way missouri uses that position is more of it's kind of a cross between a safety and a linebacker anyway yeah, right, uh, a right. lot of a lot of times they're responsible for the linebacker for the tight end yeah. uh, leaking out in coverage or a slot receiver so they have to be a little bit more versatile than like a middle linebacker whose job is to yeah, assist in the run game and get after the quarterback right, right. so the strong side linebacker is needs to be a little bit more of an athletic guy and so the fact that uh, two of those guys uh, Aiden Harrison and uh Maybe Isaiah McGuire. No, Chris, I believe it was uh, Chris Sheeran. No, Chris Sheeran is a is a cornerback. Aiden Harrison and uh, well, one of those other guys. I wrote it all down today. Uh, two two of the safeties that they acquired were actually recruited by Brian Odom, and that is kind of a signal that they might eventually uh, drift over into one a linebacking was, role. According to Ravis, was recruited by Joe John Finley. Yes, uh, Stacy Brown from yeah. Dunkerville, Texas. Maybe he's going to play tight end. Although Joe John's not here anymore, so nobody really knows. Right. Well, he won't have that voice in his corner to be a, a tight end. I don't. I don't think we'll have a Daniel Parker. Yeah. No. I'm, this I, year. I, I don't think so. <laughs> he he was uh, a unique case, I think. Um, but in addition to that, you also had, and this will be a huge story going forward, five guys from St. Louis plus Martez Manuel from Columbia. So you have six in-state recruits. And prior to this this class, the last time Missouri had a high school player from St. Louis actually commit and sign was 2016. Yeah. I remember like when I was covering preps a few years back, it was a big deal that Mizzou just never hit on the end state kids like i remember just kid just kids in general going around just be like mizzou just doesn't talk, talk to us they just don't really care um like i, I remember Javon mcquitty was the number one player in the state um receiver who went to battle fit 10 minutes down the road um and he didn't get a mizzou offer till late in the senior year um so I, it's barry odom has really kind of shifted things there it really seems like he has a a focus on like obviously you got to recruit out outside of the state this isn't basketball where you get like two or three recruits but in 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 terms of really just beefing up st louis columbia kansas city a little bit i think he's really beefing up in state a little bit better which is i think it's changed the perception of mizzou in around this area yeah i think there was definitely a greater focus on that this time around yeah. or maybe not even a, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what happened and and to finish a thought from a second ago the other Safety, who was recruited by Brian Odom, was Stacy Brown. That's what I was. So the two. Oh, Rival says it was Joe John. Said, oh, 
Well, according to the Mizzou bio, the primary recruiter was Brian Odom. Okay. So a lot of times, I guess what the explanation for that could be, Joe John Finley's kind of home base is Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Initially made the contact and did the scout. Brian Odom Brian came in and finished the deal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Stacy Brown and uh, Aiden Harrison, two guys that uh, were safeties in high school that might have a future at linebacker at Missouri. Uh, but to continue on the point about St. Louis, uh, obviously last year's in-state class was – I talked about forever, uh, the Mizzou 10 and the Tiger 10, and they had all those guys in that weekend back in 2016 uh, with the hope of getting all of them, and they yeah. only ended up getting one. I think Daniel Parker was the only one of that group that actually ended up coming. So this year, I mean, yeah, they, they were able to get into St. Louis, and I think a big part of that was Jack Buford, yeah. the offensive lineman who committed in June. And Jack had a great relationship with offensive line coach Brad Davis, uh, said when he committed that that was the thing that really swung Missouri for him. I mean, he was getting offers from all over, including Oklahoma and some other big-time schools, uh, but his relationship with Brad Davis really sealed the deal. And then Jack kind of took it upon himself to recruit within St. Louis. Very vocal. Very outgoing guy. And so having a player that could advocate for Mizzou in St. Louis, I think, did a world of good because Missouri never had that in the 2017 and 2018 classes. It's it's one thing for a coach to go try to recruit and try to tell kids how great something is, how great something they're building is at a school. But when a player itself, a kid who's 17, 18 years old, can say it it's just a little bit different i just think people i think the kids when they're going through the recruiting process trust the kids more than they do the coaches a little bit in that sense i agree and that was you know i think jake buford was the one that i mean when i, I was able to talk to him the day after he committed or the day that he committed and you know he's going around and he's he was saying i'm going to tell people how great it is to stay home you know you yeah. can stay home and uh and be a hometown hero and there was nobody saying that in the last classes, there was nobody advocating for that on a you know on the ground level with yeah. among players, uh, and then you saw Maurice Massey, C.J. Boone, two receivers uh, from inside St. Louis, kind of start to believe that. Uh, you also had a uh, couple others. I'm looking through the list now. Nico Hay, tight end from Christian Brothers College, uh, and uh, and Jelani Williams, the safety from Parkway North. All those guys, I yeah. mean, they kind of have have cited, uh, you know, yeah, staying home is a big deal for me. So that that was a big part of it. I think Jack Buford kind of getting the ball rolling a little bit. Missouri just needed one guy to to take a chance. They needed to win over one person. They kind of got lucky that. Jack took it upon himself to recruit on his own and really advocate for Missouri. Uh, but having that one guy, I think, made a big difference. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. They also, uh, just real briefly, in addition to Jack Buford, uh, they got commitments from, or signed, they actually got signatures today as signing day after all, uh, from Luke Griffin out of Georgia, former Georgia commit uh, that flipped over the summer and uh, signed with Missouri today, Luke Griffin, 6'5", 3'10", and uh, Thalen Robinson, offensive lineman from Arlington, Texas, three, uh, 6'7", 315 pounds. So they'll ha- add a little bit of depth on the offensive line. Uh, on the defensive line, they got a signature from Chris Daniels, who committed today out of Ulysses, Texas. Um, also, uh, defensive 
and Isaiah McGuire from Tulsa, Oklahoma. So there's a little bit of depth on the defensive line too. And then uh, at running back, and this has kind of been the position that Missouri has really hit the jackpot on multiple years. Uh, they got a, a signature from Anthony Watkins out of Fort Worth. Uh, in the last three classes, Missouri has gotten Demarie Crockett, Larry Roundtree, Tyler Beatty, and Semi Bakari, and they have basically combined. I think going into next year, there will be a really good case that they are the best collection of running backs in the SEC, or if if not the best, like One up top the, yeah. two or top three. Yeah, yeah. So they've hit the jackpot on running backs. Cornell Ford's recruiting has been pretty spot on and his ability to kind of coach those guys up, uh, which bodes well for Anthony Watkins, even though there may not be an opportunity for him freshman year. Uh, certainly it's easy to be optimistic about him considering how well Missouri's recruiting How long until Cornell Ford starts getting looked by the school? You know, I think... Brick Haley actually got a nomination for the Broyles Award right, this year, right, which, which is the top assistant in the country. Uh, but the way that Missouri's running I mean, backs just, have just produced one every after, season, one one. yeah, one after another after another, I think really speaks a lot to the yeah. job Cornell Ford has done. I he has it can't been be long. really, really good. Yeah. He's He's been really consistent and you know, you kind of look around and see other places where they just can't get a run game going yeah. on a consistent level. And for Missouri, it has been very consistent, regardless of who's stepped in there and right. done it. Yeah. So I think uh, he is probably due some accolades yeah. very in, the, soon. in the near future. Yeah. I think that will do it for today. Uh, they're starting practice here in a little bit, so it'll be uh, beneficial to be out there, and we'll actually get a chance to talk to Barry Odom. Though there are uh, signing day profiles on uh, most of the guys who have signed already up on ColumbiaTribune.com. There will be more. Uh, certainly, the goal is to have a profile up for every person that signs uh, by the end of the day, uh, but there will be that, and then kind of a wrap-up story uh, that will be up on ColumbiaTribune.com at the end of the day. So lots of stuff coming at you from signing day. You have anything else, Cam? Nope. I think that's it. All right. Good. Thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate it. Yeah. I'll let uh, Cam finish it off. Subscribe and rate our podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, subscribe to the Tribune. Read our work online at ColumbiaTribune.com and on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at, at CJ underscore Teague and Danny at, at Daniel underscore M underscore Jones. Um, and I think that's all we got. Danny, you can cue the outro music. to Mizzou's Sports Podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. 